Good morning. My name is Kevin. I will be reading today's passage from the books of Acts, chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the, the, any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. With the great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of the lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each any of as any had need. Those Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite's native of Cyprus, sold a field that belongs to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen. Thank you, brother. This is Kevin, everybody. And uh, yeah, yeah, give him a hand. Thank you. If you don't know Kevin, you should get to know him. Uh, God has done a mighty work in his life. Ask him about his uh, testimony, and you will be encouraged by the power of the gospel to transform hearts and lives. And uh, he's been an encouragement to me as I see his love for God and God's word and the church and God's mission. So thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here and I haven't met you yet, you please do me a favor, introduce yourself to me after this service. I would love uh, to get to uh, know you. Also, tonight at 6, we're having a, a coffee with the pastors in the cafe. Um, it's something we do once a month. And uh, if you are new, it's specifically for people who are new that want to find out a little bit more about our church. Um, and it also, it helps uh, new people get connected to the church and the pastors. And so, uh, the way that you sign up for that is you fill out a connection card with a phone number um, that can be texted so we can confirm that you're there. It's very important to sign up if you want to be a part of that um, so we can plan uh, accordingly. Now, um, we have been in a church life series uh, simply called Love Your Neighbor. And many of you know this. But our little church is filled with a great percentage of people who are currently going through some really difficult times, where they are having their lives just flipped upside down, and it's disorienting, and it's frustrating, or maybe it's scary, or it just fills you with anger. And usually when you find yourself angry, underneath that, most of the time there is some, some fear. And you hate being scared and so you get angry because maybe you feel like you're more alive or maybe because it makes you feel like you're in more, con in more control. But our world is messed up. It is totaled. And we have to live in it. 
And God has invited us to walk with him step by step through the messes of, of this life. Now, we're going to talk more about that later, but I want to share with you something that I've seen as our little church has been going through these difficult times. And one of the things that I've been seeing in, in our church as people go through this, one of, the, the, one of the, the beautiful fruits that have been produced because of these difficult times is a congregation that is growing more and more in, in grace and in generosity. It has been amazing to see you serve each other and encourage each other and pray with each other and for each other and assist each other. It's been amazing to watch. And not because you have to out of some legalistic obligation. We are commanded to love each other, but you do it because you want to, and that's encouraging to me. Now, the scripture we just read is one of the most encouraging uh, snapshots in, in Scripture for me personally. First, because it, it's all about the blessing of what it is to be a part of a generous community. Being God's generous community that, that loves not only each other, but also, and we cannot forget, loving our neighbors. Talking about generosity can, for some People, some pastors, some churches be difficult because we sincerely don't want people to think that, that, that their church is, is just interested in money. There have been, there's been a lot of abuse as far as that goes in churches, but thankfully, the gospel of Jesus Christ takes a radically different angle on generosity. And this, this passage highlights somebody with a special name, and his name is Barnabas. And according to the passage that we read, it told us what Barnabas means. And do you remember what Barnabas means? I heard it. Say it louder. Yes, son of encouragement. This son of encouragement, this Barnabas, was a pace setter. And a pace setter is anyone who encourages or spurs on others. Now, a Christian pace setter is anyone who encourages and spurs on others to love God more and to love their neighbors more. Therefore, every single one of you is a pace setter. Every single one of you has, have, have relationships where you can encourage the church to love God more and to love our neighbors more. And one way that you can do that is by growing in, in the selfless, sacrificial, uncommon generosity. Growing in generosity in a way that sets you free from the bondage and the slavery and the power of money and stuff. And so, if you're following along with your outline and the bulletin, this is your first point. Our first point is this. God is creating a generous community. Well, how does he do that? Well, one way, part of it, is that Jesus changes us from owners to managers. Let me explain what I mean. Look at, at the early church in, in verse 32. It says, No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, what was it that, that made this early church so generous? 
Well, it's several things, but one critical piece was that it was a radical change in how they viewed their stuff. Instead of viewing themselves as owners of their stuff, they viewed themselves as managers. Now, now an owner, an owner thinks that they have earned what they have on their own. A manager is convinced that someone else has entrusted them with it. An owner mindset believes he has the right to do whatever he wants with what he has. A manager has a mindset that that believes he has the privilege to use what he has on behalf of the one who entrusted it to him for the purposes of God. The early church generously shared with others what God had entrusted to them. They didn't view themselves as owners, but as managers of God's resources for his purposes. Now, I know it's really easy to think, if not consciously, but maybe subconsciously, uh, to think. I worked hard for my stuff. No one gave it to me. I did that. Now, a very important question to ask in light of that kind of mindset is, who is it that gave you the intelligence to work? Who is it that gave you the ability to work? Who is it that gave you the strength to work? Who is it that gave you the opportunity to work? Who is it that provided you with someone who would pay you for that work? Right? Every single heartbeat, every single breath you take is a gift from God. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians when he says this, what do you have that you did not receive? In case you're wondering, this is a rhetorical question. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything is a gift from God. Okay, so maybe you have no problem with this. Yeah, yeah, I've heard this a billion times. I agree. I'm with you. Well, I want to give us a little diagnostic question. And the diagnostic question is, how can you tell if you're an owner or a manager? And I've shared this with you before. Uh, When I brought up a quote by Edith Schaefer, she was an author, and she also happened to be married to theologian uh, Francis Schaefer. And, And she says this. She says, there is nothing wrong with owning an expensive rug as long as you don't get upset when a drunk vomits on it. Right? That's a pretty good diagnostic, right? Based on that kind of a test, I have an owner mindset. And all I ever had was cheap carpet and a rental. If you have babies and or pets, a lot worse things than vomit have happened on your carpet, right? And for me, instead of ha- when that kind of stuff happens, instead of me having an attitude that says, well, I guess Jesus wanted this to happen to his carpet, his walls, his condo. And I, it, 
instead of having that kind of attitude, I get all bent out of shape. But I trust that Jesus has not given up on me yet. I am a work-in-process manager. And God has used babies and pets to help grow me in this. Now, here's how he's also um, encouraged me and grown me in this kind of mindset. I've been encouraged by all of the people here who have a manager mindset instead of an owner mindset, and you show me what that looks like. I mean, I'm so encouraged when, when you see somebody in need and, and you know that, that you can help and you dig deep and you bless them and you encourage them and, and you treat them not as, you know, not in a patronizing way, not with like a savior complex, but you treat them as family. I, I know, like, just like some of the people in, that we, we just read about, some of you have even sold your home and gave a large chunk of the profit to our church benevolence fund to help people who are in need. I mean, that's so encouraging to me. And there, there are others of you who are, who are barely making it yourselves and you, you don't have any extra money uh, at all and you're struggling to make ends meet. But you know what? I have seen so many of you as well be incredibly generous and in creative ways. It's, it's been amazing for me to see the creativity and generosity. If you have a generous heart, it doesn't matter if you don't have anything. You still find out ways you figure out ways to be generous. And we see this in our crowded houses, our, our, our home groups. When, when people in that group, uh, when that, in that little gathering, they, they take care of their neighbors. They, they pray together and plan how, how they can bless their neighbors in their neighborhood or, or a group like, like maybe a kids from a foster care in their area. And, and, and here's the thing. Generosity in this world Generosity in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, when everybody is inclined to look after themselves first and be totally self-protective first, generosity in a dog-eat-dog -dog world is far more powerful than you can imagine. It's totally countercultural, and it gets people's attention. There's some, there's some unique power behind that when it comes to Christians. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to show you what this, what this can look like. Um, so, so last week, I mean, Halloween hadn't even happened yet. And I walk into that store, uh, Michael's. You know that store, Michael's? Um, I know I may not strike you as an artsy, crafty kind of Pinterest person. I was lost. I took a wrong turn. I ended up in Michael's. Um, I walked into Michael's, and I was stunned. Christmas had exploded all over that place. All over. Halloween hadn't even happened yet. There were Christmas trees and lights and ribbons and stars and, and you know, wrapping paper everywhere. And, and it reminded me, okay, Christmas is right around the corner. It reminded me of an excerpt from an article that I saved a, a, a while ago. Um, an article by a guy named Joe Carter. And the author, Joe Carter, 
I won't read the whole thing. I'm going to give you just three, three parts to it. Uh, an excerpt from the story, the background, and then why it matters. It takes a little time, but I think it's important for us to get a vision of what this kind of generosity can look like and how it's different than the world normally operates. So, the story. He writes this. According to Athens Review, an atheist who had threatened to sue a Texas county over the display of a nativity scene says he is completely flabbergasted that Christians from that same county provided him financial assistance for a medical problem. Quote, my wife and I had never had a Christian do anything nice for us, said Patrick Green. Just the opposite. That's the story. And he writes this section for the background. The author writes, Last month, Mr. Green, an activist with a long history of bringing lawsuits related to public displays of Christian imagery, uh, threatened to sue Henderson County if county officials allowed a nativity scene to be placed on the courthouse lawn next Christmas. Green had intended to represent himself in the lawsuit, but dropped the threat when he discovered he had a detached retina and may lose his sight. Quote, there is no way for me to go up there if I'm blind, said Green, who lives in San Antonio, nearly 300 miles away from Henderson County Courthouse. Green said he had no insurance to pay for an operation that might save his sight and can't even pay for the exam that will confirm the diagnosis. Quote, why waste money if I can't do anything about it? He told the local uh, newspapers um, that he had given up. When Jessica Cry, a member of Sand Springs Baptist Church in Athens, read on the internet about Green's troubles, she felt compelled to help. Cry told her pastor, Reverend Eric Graham, who contacted Green and inquired about how his church could help with the surgery. Mr. Green told the pastor he had a more, a more immediate need. Quote, I said, if you really want to contribute something to help, we need groceries. I told my wife about our conversation, Green said. They're going to help us, Karen asked. Green thought that if anything, he'd see $50, maybe $100. A few days later, the Christians made good on their promise and sent a check for $400. I couldn't believe it, Green said. I thought I was in the twilight zone. The money went to help pay the rent and provide necessities from the grocery store. The contributions didn't stop at $400 either. More money is coming in. Green is so amazed by the generosity of the Christians in Henderson County, he's sharing the story through the media and is thinking about writing a book. Quote, I'm going to call it The Real Christians of Henderson County, Texas, Green said. These people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. I'm dedicating the book to my wife, the young lady who started the idea, and Reverend Graham. Then he writes why it matters. The author says, Jesus commanded us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But far too often we get bogged down in fighting faux cultural batters, battles like the war on Christmas 
and forget that the enemies our Lord commands us to love are also our neighbors. When we take the time to show concern and charity as the Christians in my former home of Henderson County have done with Mr. Green, it can melt the hardest of hearts. Mr. Green went on to say, I have decided to show my appreciation to the Christian community for all their help, and I'm going to buy a star for the top of their nativity scene. You people can figure out how to plug it in. You know, that kind of generosity towards an opponent is pretty unusual in our world. And usually, a lot of self-proclaimed Christians take a worldly approach to matters like that. This is just one example of what generosity in the name of Christ can can do. Is it guaranteed? No. But there's an incredible opportunity to totally redeem something that was just going to be a major, you know, culture war where people drew line in the sand and picked up arms and blasted each other. Let me ask you, when it comes to your stuff, your things, your mindset, are you a manager or are you an owner? Or are you a work and process manager like I am? I want you to wrestle with um, how God might be encouraging you to grow in this. Maybe you can't think of anything. Well, that's what prayer and the Holy Spirit is for. Ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you some area where you can grow in this. Ask him to reveal opportunities to you. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you might be approaching a situation, an opponent, and an enemy in a worldly way through worldly power, and ask the Lord how you, he might be able to use God's generosity in that particular situation and, and to give you a little bit of imagination. Maybe you talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ and talk to them about the situation. Maybe your own heart struggles with it all. Maybe confess some sin or some fear or whatever. Pray together and then, and then see what God has for you next to be able to be generous the way that God has been generous to you out of sheer grace, even when we were his enemies. And see what God does. God is creating a family of generosity. He wants us to share the love of God in word and deed to our neighbors. God has called you to be involved in this. Next. God generously welcomes all nations to join his family. And he does it through you and and me, right? Through our generosity. And where do we see that? Two places. First we see in verse 32 that God reaches out to the Gentiles, okay? They, the Gentiles, had everything in common. Now that phrase, everything in common, didn't come from the Bible. It was a common phrase in Greek political theories. Plato, he viewed private property as that private property was the root of all evil. And so that he would teach, Plato would teach that to rid society of evil, everything by law should be held in common. And then he was asked to implement his theory in Syracuse, and it failed miserably. 
So when Luke here, the author here, says the early church had, and uses a, a, a common phrase, everything in common, what Luke is saying is what you all tried and failed is working here in Jerusalem. What your wisdom and what your best effort could not pull off, God's spirit has done. The root of all evil is not private property. The root of all evil is the love of private property. And only God can change a heart. So come on, Gentiles. Come and be a part of God's generous community. And then we see in verse 34 that God also reaches out to the Jews. It says there was not a needy person among them, the Jewish people. And this phrase right here was a phrase that they would have been familiar with. It's an Old Testament promise from Deuteronomy where it says there will be no needy person among you. And, and here in the New Testament, we see that the Christian church is the family of God that the Lord had always planned on establishing. Now, in the Old Testament and leading up to this time, the temple priests thought that they were the leaders of, of God's family. But here in Jerusalem, in God's new city and his new community, there, there's a, a whole new people of God powerfully living out the life of the true covenant people of God, Jews and Gentiles, all nations, are coming to know God and living out their new identity in God. No wonder Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says that a large number of Jewish priests put their faith in Jesus and joined the church. It's powerful. Now, you need to know this. And I said this a little bit earlier. Being a generous person is more than giving money. It also includes being generous with our time and with our skills and with our energy and our attention and our hearts. Pastor and author Tim Keller said this. He said that generosity is not only about money. There is more than one currency. Let your generosity be pervasive in life. And again, I've seen so many of you do this. And not just for each other, but, but also for your neighbors. Regardless of race, regardless of citizenship, regardless of culture, regardless of status. You have visited people in the hospitals. You have fixed their cars. You have provided food. You help clean their house. You help with home repairs. You help write resumes and so much more. You may not realize how encouraging it is for you to use your time and effort to bless and love your neighbors especially those who you might consider to be a political opponent or religious uh, uh, opponent or somebody that's just different from you, from a different culture with different values. And then when you share the generosity of God with them because God was generous to you, now we're starting to talk about a people who are welcoming our neighbors into our church family. It's not get your act cleaned up first, then maybe you can hang out with us. It's not like that. You're just blessing them. And you're loving them. And you're sharing the truth of Jesus with them in a loving way. And then you're, applying, you're, 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 you're living out your Christ-likeness by showing grace and generosity to neighbors who may not even like you. 
God is inviting people from all nations into his family through you. You know, here in Escondido, you know, me coming from National City, closer to the city, everybody's from somewhere else. And there's so many different uh, races and cultures and, and, and people who regularly hang out together. I moved to Escondido, and I was kind of surprised how people, 149,000 people in Escondido, feels like a small town, which is weird. But in 149,000, there's diversity in the numbers, but what's crazy is that I, it's so different than when from where I'm from, a national city in Escondido. People seem to kind of quietly segregate themselves based on culture, race, maybe language barriers. And God wants us to shake that up, to draw all nations to Jesus in our own neighborhood and around the world. So keep praying for uh, Dave and Kathleen Becky, who are in Nigeria. It's not easy. It's brutal out there. But they are a generous couple who are willing to go to the ends of the earth to share the truth, love, generosity of God with the people of Nigeria. So, it's easy, I think it's popular, for most sermons to say, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. Go be generous. Amen, you're dismissed. But we can't do that because there's no power in that. Where does the power to change and be radically uh, uh, generous, where does that come from? Uh, to, to be able to love your neighbors like that in a, in a way that's totally countercultural. Third last point. The peak and power of God's generosity is the gospel. See, the cross is the high point of God's generosity. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is the power of God that sets you free to be generous, that gives you the courage to be generous. It changes you from owners to managers for King Jesus' purposes. Maybe you're not generous because you're afraid that you're going to get taken advantage of. Well, it's God's stuff anyway. We take advantage of his grace all the time anyway, and yet he still shows us grace. Right? I'm not saying, you know, be unwise, but in, don't, don't use wisdom as a way to be miserly. We will never move beyond the gospel at this church. There's nothing supposedly deeper than the gospel. We need to be constantly soaking in the gospel, resting in God's presence because of what God has done through the cross. So when a friend or a family member or a neighbor or an enemy goes after you with complaining or slander or trying to take away you know, your rights instead of becoming uh, fearful, you meditate on the gospel and that fills you with courage. I'm not saying that injustice is not a problem. Not at all. But the only way you're going to have the strength to handle injustice is if you're filled with the power of God and confident in who you are in, in King Jesus. And so this leads you to be calm in 
and treat even your enemies with dignity and respect and love and generosity. This is what we see in the early church. Look at verse 33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This right here is the high point. Now, there are three uh, parts to this first. There's a deliberate literary structure used here um, in, in this verse. The first part. It says, with great power, the apostles. The last part is, a, a great grace was upon them all. Obviously, there was great power and much grace because they were sharing everything that they had, and there was no needy people among them, right? But the phrase right in the middle, kind of like a mountaintop, the peak right there, it's a peak of a deliberate structure used in this writing. It says they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were telling people about the gospel, the good news that King Jesus has triumphed over death, that King Jesus has risen, that King Jesus is alive, and that King Jesus is ruling over all creation. That's the good news. Not much earlier was Palm Sunday. These people had welcomed Jesus as, as the king who had come to save them. But five days later, that following Friday, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Then at the cross, they mock him. If you really are the son of God, why don't you just jump off the cross right now and save yourself? The same day later at three in the afternoon, they see darkness fill the land and hear Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what's going on here? Remember the night before the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus was praying, and he was in so much agony. Blood was dripping from his pores like sweat. And it wasn't just the pain, and it wasn't because, just because of the shame. That was important, but it was more than that. It was being forsaken by the Father. Being cut off from the love of God. This has profound implications for us. First, for the, my Christian brothers and, and sisters, some of you, you know what? I know many of you because I've talked to you, and like I said, our church is going through some major uh, difficult times, you know, different people, different families. Some of you feel forsaken. Some of you feel robbed of your joy, and it might be because of a person, or it might be because of disease, or a major failure, or a financial uh, crisis, a broken relationship. And the result is fear or anger or depression. And now, look, I can't just, you know, yell at you and snap you out of it. Only God can snap you out of that. So I want to point you to the solution. And the solution is go to the cross and hear Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why was Jesus forsaken? So that you never will be. God will never leave you. He will never, ever forsake you. He will never let you go. But there's more. Whenever you feel like the biggest loser in Christian history, your Abba Father looks at you and says, You are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. I knew you and I loved you before I created the universe. 
and I was determined to make you my child. And I love you so much that I sent my son to live the life you should have lived and give you credit for it and, and die the death uh, that, that you deserve, give you credit for that, to die for all of your sin. And I love you so much that I sent my Holy Spirit um, to pursue you, to grab your heart, to keep it forever. And so I see you clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And so because of Jesus, God says, I love you, and I know that what you're going through is, is hard, but this can be an opportunity for people to see my power, God says, my power through your weakness, and to trust in Jesus too, the, as people watch you go through it. And it may not feel like it, but God says, I am with you. And he says, one day, you will see all of the good that has come out of your suffering, just like Jesus. I know you're suffering, and I don't expect you to pretend it's not bad. But I'm telling you, as you suffer, you don't suffer as those who suffer with no hope. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You have nothing to be afraid of. And even in the midst of your suffering, you will find yourself, as you reflect on the generosity of God, you will find yourself being generous to others and caring for others and loving others. For all of you who have not yet put your trust in Jesus, I, I want to encourage you too to go to the cross. And hear Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken so that you wouldn't be. He, Jesus received God's wrath so that you wouldn't. So that you wouldn't have to experience separation from God. Now here at this church, we, we emphasize a, a process approach to, to Christianity. We encourage you to, to hang around the community of faith. But do not let that mislead you there really is a very real urgency to the gospel. There will come a time when it will be too late to respond. And the, and the problem is, is that you can't possibly know when that time is. So my encouragement to you is to put your faith and trust in Jesus who took God's wrath for you to give you life, eternal life with him to bring you redemption and to redeem all the suffering that you experience in this broken world. So, God was unimaginably generous to you through Christ and in countless other ways. Focusing on that, meditating on that, wrestling with that fills your heart with God's love for your neighbors. God is creating a family of generosity and he invites all nations to join his family. And the peak and the power of God's generosity is the gospel. Your identity in the gospel is this. You are God's generous community. This is who you are in Christ. Now be who you already are in Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?